People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note here on Fine Music Radio. And with our matric students writing their finals under the added stress of COVID-19, I'm going to talk about education and COVID in the course of this program. And I've invited the educator Mark Falconer to be our guest on People of Note this week. Mark is the principal of Hertzlier. He's also been involved in education, particularly independent education for all his professional life at university as a junior lecturer and then in schools all over South Africa, as well as the UK and New Zealand. He's been involved in several educational boards and discussion forums and was on the Council of the South African Heads of Independent Schools Association for many years. And Mark has always been passionate about the role of reading in cognitive and emphatic development. We're going to cover that. And he's also a keen cyclist. And in fact, he's involved with Vilokaya, a school-based cycling development organization based in Kailitsha, which does wonderful work. And more about that later. So Mark, Mark Falconer, welcome to Fine Music Radio and to People of Note. Thank you so much, Rodney, and how lovely to be here. Thank well, you. there you go. It's a busy time of the year for you, although not really because the students have all done their work. Work is done. They? Work is done. And now it's up to them to pass their exams. Exactly. Okay, now before I ask you my first question, I'm going to start with a quote that I was sent that you read at a valedictory assembly. You said, and I quote, Never in living memory has there been such a disruption to our lives so suddenly, so entirely, and so enduringly. We don't yet know what all this means. We do know, though, that this is something that will always bond us and something we have endured. So just based on that quote from yours, can you say, and this is probably a difficult question, how do you think COVID has changed education? Wow, that is an enormous question. I think education has changed both positively and negatively. Positively in that we can do things that we never, ever thought that we could do before so it allows people to connect virtually um it allows it allows people to have opportunities for for um and educational um interventions educational exchanges yeah. connections between pupils and teachers and teachers being able to teach people all over the world who wherever they are whoever they are this is a nice positive spin so keep going <laughs> yeah so so that is and that is very positive yeah um i mean for example we we had um part of our maths course taught by a teacher in Johannesburg who's an expert in that particular field mediated by a, uh, a local teacher but it, it it was I mean we would never ever have thought of or we might have thought of it but we we did, would never have done it yes. before so that that is uh, from that point of view it's very very positive we have I mean I, I'm sure that you have also had interviews and conversations with people all over the world that you may indeed. not have had before indeed all However, this magic of Zoom and Skype and all oh, those things. Zoom. It's both a curse <laughs> yes. and, and a blessing, I Well, suppose. all our meetings yeah, at yeah. Fine Music Radio now take place on Zoom. And so the, 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 the negative part of it is that um, our pupils are, have never been quite so alienated, so isolated. What's the word? 
Melancholy. Me- no, not melancholy. There's another word. There's a kind of communal apathy, a difficulty to engage with, to, to kind of reconnect with, mm-hmm. with people. For many young people, this is, I think this is a real problem that, uh, they've, they've been at home for so long. It's so easy. You don't have to get out of bed. You can do your lessons. You know, you can listen with your headphones on. You don't, don't have to even brush your teeth. Mm-hmm. So to get back into the habit of getting up at half past six, you know, re-engaging with sport, uh, making the effort to get dressed, comb your hair, you know, all those kinds of things for, for many young people. It's, it doesn't sound like it's a strain, but actually it has, it has become for some. I'm sure it must be, Mark, because that's something maybe that we take for granted, that these young kids are not, they're not getting as much interaction as they should have at school with colleagues and teachers and other pupils. They're living in a little cocoon. It's the, it's the personal connections that have been lost, yeah. um, and that's really, really sad. And, and, and I think for many pupils, you know, the, the, the celebrations, the birthdays, the, the high days of, that they would like to mark and, mm. and uh, celebrate, have, they feel like they've been cheated. Yes. And has this, do you think, affected the standard of education or has the standard remained okay? Because, as you mentioned just now, the maths teacher in Johannesburg and the availability of all these things on Zoom and elsewhere, has the standard of education remained? No, Rodney. I mean, this is really one of the most terrible things is that it's done nothing more than separate those that have got and those that haven't. So if you've got access to you know, to all of the infrastructures, oh, yeah. if you've got Wi-Fi and you've got a, 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 a device that can do it, then you, you've you been fine in terms of content anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the vast majority of our country, unfortunately, don't have that. So they have suffered terribly. And so those who have got access to that have probably flourished. And those that haven't have just become further and further behind. Mm-hmm. So the gap has widened. Have you noticed at school, for example, we'll take your school, have you noticed – the mood of the students, has that changed in any way? Um, do you find them more gloomy, more shy, or are they really dealing with this? Um, I think, I think there, there are a number of people who have really battled, mm-hmm. and, and we've, we've found more kind of psychological um, challenges than we've ever had before. So there, there are a number of, of kids who really do need to get re energized reactivated reconnected mm. um the other kids there's a kind of pent-up energy so when when there is something available as a sports fixture a tour they have just been unbelievable like puppies you know they are just exuberant throw themselves into every opportunity gosh that's interesting which is which is lovely mm-hmm. which is really lovely of course maybe so, you know so and and then there's this whole the whole anxiety um that some some kids have they've got parents or grandparents or friends with comorbidities and so there's an enormous amount of anxiety of of people becoming ill which has always been behind you know behind the scenes for some there's a lot to talk about with this whole matric thing and education and all the rest of it and your bicycle riding but <laughs> what you've chosen interesting music which seems to have an ecclesiastical feel the miserere by allegri is there a i mean it is such a special piece of music what made you choose it so i spent a year in a roman catholic seminary which is why i am as scarred as i am (laughs) really (laughs) Um, that's another story that's a completely different story and i've always been interested in church music so that that particular piece of music that i've chosen i i was visiting oxford not to study unfortunately but i was teaching aerobic i taught aerobics at at oxford for a year and part of my oxford experience was to go to all of the you know, the various colleges. And this one particular 
experience that I had was it was at Magdalen College. I had met at the gym. He actually was the Catholic. He was a Catholic priest, a Jesuit, and he had shown me around. He'd written actually the definitive guide at that point, anyway, to Oxford. And he took me into Magdalen, and we listened to that sung by the the Magdalen choir. Gosh, that must have been choir. an experience. And it was ju- it was just like going to heaven. <laughs> it, you could not believe anything more beautiful. The stained glass windows, the surroundings, and this sound that just transported you. To another world, it was. And did they beyond. have a good boy soprano doing the very high? Level? It was. It was. So it was a boys' choir, and, yeah. they had, and I'm, I'm not sure if it was a particular celebration or something, but it was just beyond words. Let's listen to part of the Miserere by Allegri.
That's part of an extraordinary work, The Miserere by Allegri, and it was the first choice of my guest on People of Note this week, Mark Falconer, and we're talking about education and the impact COVID has had on education. But just before we go back to that, I gather that music, Mark, has always played an important part in your life somehow or the other. Was this to do with your family background or how has music been such an important part of your life? Yes, music has always been very important. My grandmother um, was a music teacher and um, was a, a wonderful pianist. Um, so I listened uh, in Durban at that stage um, at the city hall, there were lunchtime concerts on a Sunday, so the the, the tr- family tradition was to go for Sunday lunch, and then at three o'clock, we would go to the city hall and listen to music, which which is a tradition I have delighted in since then. So whenever there's any kind of musical performances, whatever they are, jazz, blues, serious music, I am there with my hair in a braid. And do you play an instrument at all? Can I can I say I play the banjo? It's not an instrument. Eh? Of course, it's an instrument. I, I, no, very, badly. very oh, badly. Anyway, you play the banjo. Uh, yeah, I was offered the choice between piano lessons and karate when I was uh, nine, and I think that's close to abuse because how do you choose? <laughs> it sounds like you've had a very interesting life. I mean, you said you were in a Roman Catholic seminarian for a while. You taught gymnastics. What was it at aerobics? Aerobics, aerobics. at Oxford. What got you into education and teaching and then up to the role of a headmaster? Well, I don't know if it's up to the role of a headmaster. I think you, you get promoted. Or not, I don't even know if it's promotion. You get moved to positions that you are completely incompetent. I think at one point I was quite a reasonable <laughs> teacher um, and then somehow ended up doing stuff that I'm, you know, like looking at budget sheets. I mean, headmasters are the least trained people. Uh, no, headmasters, head, heads of schools are the least mm-hmm. trained people for the job that they do. So, I'm in, I mean, my degree is in philosophy and English literature. Um, here I am looking at budget sheets, dealing with legal issues and kind of policy stuff and timetable management, which is probably the, all of the things that I am least good at. Administrative. It's very uh, administrative, isn't it? It really is. So, I, I don't have the kind of personal connections with pupils, which is something that I used to value and, and I think was reasonably good at. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's a lot of work with, with staff and with parents, but you know, that's the, the, the core of the job is administrative. I'm intrigued to know, um, you said that you're Catholic, or you said you're lapsed Catholic. So lapsed. So lapsed. So la- second only to Borgia. <laughs> Gosh, that's <laughs> certainly lapsed. So may I just ask Well, he was a pope, Master. He know. was pope, yeah. Yes, he was. Just to ask you a silly question, how come then you are the headmaster of a well-known and very famous Jewish school? Because I love the Jewish community. I love the celebration of learning. I love the history. I, the, the cultural identity of the Jews is something that I can, I, I really enjoy and have appreciated and admire greatly. Okay, good answer. When we were talking about pupils just now and the effect COVID had on them, what about the parents? Because it's a it's a family thing, isn't it? The parents yeah, must have yeah. suffered as well because they've, in a sense, had to guide their children through something that they've never had to deal with before. It's it's amazing how, how um, central the school became in that situation. Parents, I mean, I think this is, this is something that many parents all over the world have suffered or have endured or ha- have engaged with. And that's kind of homeschooling. So, you know, teaching is happening. But for the first time ever, parents are in the classroom or have been part of the educational process, have seen how education works, can see what the expectations are of their kids are are engaging with, and have been asked to supervise and just be more present. Um, So 
for the most part, I think parents are very, very appreciative of what teachers do. Um, of course, there's, you could imagine, there's criticism if a teacher doesn't say what parents think they should be saying or that the facts are, that they think the facts are wrong. Of course, there's a great deal of criticism too. But for the most part, I think worldwide and certainly in, in our school, I think parents have had a new appreciation for what it is the teachers do and, <laughs> and the patience and the, and the, and the, the support that they have offered. And what about things like discipline, which you learn at school? I know obviously you learn um, discipline at home, but there's a different sort of discipline you learn when you're at school, having to study, having to be quiet, having to follow laws and rules. <laughs> when were you last in a high school, Rodney? <laughs> Many years ago. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, ago. discipline, we, we, we really try very hard to, to get um, pupils to be, kids to be self-regulating. Um, I think the least effective kind of discipline is the enforced discipline. If you can, if you can hook a child to understand why they should be regulate themselves, then you've you've won the battle. And that's COVID or non-COVID. You know that it's mm-hmm. it's it's irrelevant really. It's much more difficult if you're doing it virtually. But that's what we try. Isn't it interesting what we're saying at the moment? Actually, as I said slightly earlier, we're putting quite. Oh, you are putting quite a nice positive spin on COVID, as much of a tragedy it, ha- yes, it yes, has yes. been. But as you say, it's taught us a number of new disciplines and a number of new concepts and ideas how to get on with each other, wearing masks all the time, and how to interact with each other. I think that's true. And I think, I think also what it has done is, is kind of forced, what is the, what is the word? Disru- it's, a, it's been a disruptor to education. Mm-hmm. And I think what, mm-hmm. what we will see is that education will change. Pupils are beginning to think, why is it that we have to get up at half past six and, and go to assembly? Why do we have so circumscribed in our subject choices or in our curriculum that we follow or in the final qualifications that we have? I mean, theoretically, what we should be able to do is to cater for every single child um, and technology allows us to do that. So we can, we can cater for every single child, every single curriculum. We can build a, a curriculum that or a, a learning path for every single child individually based on what he or she would like to do. Well, this might be a bit old fashioned of me, but isn't it a good discipline to get up at half past six, brush your teeth, go to assembly, yeah. have certain subjects that you can concentrate on? Sure. I mean, there is a very positive side to that, as you know, from history. Yes, yes. So I'm being a devil's advocate. No, no I, I absolutely agree with you. I yeah, think that yeah. I, I, what, what I'm saying is that the, the, the COVID experience has been a disruptor. And so there are these questions being asked. And I think there's going to be a middle ground. There will be a golden mean where we can say, okay, these are the things that actually we can use productively and constructively. And these are the things that we know we need to, to keep going. There is a need for a routine. There is a need for containment. There is a need for... You know, not every child is going to be self-regulating. So there is a need for kind of external super ego discipline that schools need to and parents need to make sure is there. But I, I think what will happen is that we will we will find that we are doing some things in different ways. Some things we will we will cling to. We can't throw everything away and we can't and we can't just go back to what we were doing. Yeah, that's that's the other almost scary thing. We can't go back to what we're doing. We're going to have another piece of music now. Excellent. Another ecclesiastical piece. Hail Bright Cecilia from the O2 St. Cecilia by Purcell. Is there a reason for this? I mean, St. Cecilia is the patron saint of music, yes, as you know. Yes. So I had the most, most wonderful teacher, Professor Ruth Harnett, who was a poet um, very well known in, in some years ago in, in South African poetry. She taught our class of honors and master students 18th century poetry, and she was very, very keen on expanding this and looking at what she called the sister arts. So music, drama, architecture, painting, 
and so on. And uh, of a Friday evening, we would have we would have music evenings, and this was one of the pieces that I, I mean, I'd never come across Henry Purcell before, and this was one of the pieces that I always remember when I hear it.
the music of Henry Purcell from the Ode to St. Cecilia, Hail Bright Cecilia. Another choice of my guest on this week's edition of People of Note, Mark Falconer, who is an educator. Mark, you mentioned how the various parts of art, you know, art, music, architecture, that sort of thing. And you are on record as saying that one of the most common questions one hears most often from parents of pupils who have chosen to take art or any humanity subject at all is, my child is not going to be an artist. What will he or she do with this, having this sort of education? What is your response to something like that? Oh, that's such a beautiful question. Um, and I, we, that is something that we could talk about for a very long time. But I suppose the the point that I was trying to make I, I think that might have come from a newsletter or something but mm-hmm. but when when people are are making subject choices often the question is you know will they be able to use this at university or will this be able to you know if they do business studies you know are, you know will they be able to run a business and the, the answer is actually no probably not because this is a secondary education it's not qualifying them to do anything what we actually want to do is we want to develop their curiosity we want to develop their engagement with the world we want them to develop habits of mind that allow them to see and experience and and find an identity for themselves and i think that the humanities essential if mm-hmm. you're going to be engaging with those kinds of questions mm-hmm. while i don't want to just you know certainly not disparaging physics or accounting at all i think that the fact that that even in educational in engineering faculties it is a requirement that pupils do that students do a, a humanities indicates that there is something important about being able to articulate oneself being able to understand something about social interactions creation of your own identity about seeing the world not just in a in a um, a mathematical way or yes, in exactly. a structured way like exactly. that. Exactly, or in a one-dimensional way. One-dimensional. You know, that there's, yeah, there's, yeah. there are many, many components to being a human being. And, and hu- without, being, without studying something of the humanities, then you don't, you don't have that same kind of understanding. Do you get parents to agree with you? And do you find that children want to take part in the humanities, want to study some of the arts? I would love to say yes, Rodney. That every every parent agrees, and that it's it's unanimous. But it's yeah. not, you know. And and it's true also that that for some children, it's it's not appropriate. You know, some people some people are profoundly uncomfortable with with that kind of self explanation. I, I think it's a courageous thing to have to engage with. Mm-hmm. I mean, some some subjects like history, for example, they, they, it was mooted a little while ago that history became a compulsory subject, and it still may. And I think there's a very very good argument for that. But for for some children to you know to be in, involved in drama or, or art or music it's it takes an enormous amount of courage the, mm-hmm, the performance sure. the ability to expose yourself and and be vulnerable is not something that every child is easily going to to welcome you know the other thing we have to deal with with students these days and even for us as adults is this obsession with devices you know we spoke about how important zoom and all these things have become but now you know there are all these devices that can be both a huge help and be extremely distracting and somehow we've got to not treat that as an obstacle but as something useful again i think there's a there's a kind of middle path you know our use of technology is never going to get any less there's that's Mm -hmm. for sure Mm -hmm. if anything is going to be we're going to be more and more dependent on already um writers like noah harari see us as being bionic in the sense that we have augmented memories we have 
we have access to knowledge that we would never have just by ourselves. And in a flash, we can Google anything. We can, you know, we can have access to untold information. Mm, it's amazing can, and also frightening, isn't it? And frightening, Mark. exactly. Yeah. So, so I think there is a middle way too. I think that mm-hmm. we we have to know that we are human beings still, but we have to learn how to use technology to in 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 our service as opposed to be to be used by technology. And mm-hmm. I think that's a difficult one. This business of reading, as I said at the beginning, is very important to you. And I'm so glad that it is because we absolutely have to encourage and instill a discipline in our children to read, don't we? And I would like to say to read a book, not necessarily a Kindle or a screen. Well, am I now going all old-fashioned again? No, no. I, I mean, it's interesting. At one point, it looked like Kindle was going to just wipe out proper books. Mm-hmm. And that hasn't happened. Um, it, 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 there does seem to be some... Harking, you know, the people actually want to feel pages in their hands. And the uh, smell of a new book. Oh, let's isn't face it, it just the best? It's the best. <laughs> it's absolutely the best when you open it. Like a good whiskey. Well, that's another story. <laughs> that's a very. <laughs> <laughs> together. Yes. Together is, I suppose, the best smell in, uh, imaginable. But to come back to the question about reading, there was such an interesting series of experiments done. Uh, I think it was at Stanford University uh, uh, and not so very long ago, where with brain imaging, what the researchers were doing, they were looking at the different kinds of reading, so close reading or scanning. And what they what they discovered is that reading and proper close reading, and I think they were using Jane Austen texts, and they couldn't use anyone better. So yeah. to do that kind of close reading was stimulating parts of the brain that no other human activity managed to do. So playing chess, doing jigsaw puzzles, gaming, whatever it was, there's nothing that stimulates the human brain in quite the same way as as reading does, the empathetic areas as well as the cognitive areas. This is whether it's a book or a Kindle. Sorry, I lost you there. Is so, it, so I don't know if the, I don't know uh, running if out the did, same would happen with I, a Kindle. I, I don't know if, uh, if there's any difference between that, or in fact, I don't know if there's any difference between listening to an audiobook or reading. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, but I do know that that reading. The, you know, the, the, I think this was done done with hard copy. Okay, that's very interesting, as you say, with Jane Austen as well. But maybe one of your listeners would know more about this. (laughs) Um, Let's have another piece of music from Messiah by Handel, that rather bleak aria that the mezzo sings, the alto. He was despised and rejected of men. This is bleak stuff. It is Although it's beautiful. <laughs> it know. is bleak, but there's something so heartening, <laughs> I suppose, knowing that someone's been in a terrible place, worse than ever. In fact, th- th- it was the only time that I've ever sung in a choir. When I was teaching in England, I was, I was teaching at a school called Northamptonshire Grammar School, as it was then. It's now called Pitford School. And there was a, a classical oboist who had a terrible accident and broke his mouth. And he was just mad about getting some kind of performance going at the school. And what he did is organized a performance for us all to sing, the, whoever wanted to, from the school, and then got in professional. The, so this was this particular um, aria was sung by a pr- professional singer. But I sat in Kettering Cathedral and sang The Messiah, which is probably one of the highlights of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just Extraordinary. It is to be part piece, to be yeah. part to be part of a of a choir and sing this absolutely transcendent. It was it was beyond. Um, I always remember that with with such fondness. And this this particular piece of music is, I think, a really powerful and and beautiful one.
That's part of the aria from part two of Messiah by Handel. He was despised and rejected of men. The contralto there was Helen Watts with the London Symphony Orchestra conducted by Sir Colin Davis. And another choice of my guest, Mark Falconer, who is, apart from being an educator, Mark is also the principal at Hertzlia. And I want to start talking about matrix in a moment because that's what it's all about at this time of year. But first of all, I mentioned right at the beginning that you seem to love cycling and you formed this organization called Velokaya, a school-based cycling development organization based in Kailicha. How did this all come about? How come you cycle and form this organization? I, I didn't form it. It was, um, it, it was, uh, it's, it's sponsored, uh, sponsored organization. It's a really wonderful, um, group of kids. I think they're anywhere between 40 and, and 60 kids. Uh, as I say, based in Velokaya. Um, I'm not sure if I, I, can, I can say who sponsors it, but, but the, the, the organization, um, is, is, is really beautifully run. The kids have to be at school, have to be in school. They have to be, attending school regularly and working there is a kind of homework area for the kids to be doing academic work and they are tutors so on occasion there have been those kind of tutoring uh, in- interactions but the kind of glue of this particular um, Velakaya group is that they all are involved in cycling so sponsored by sometimes international teams i know that the one group was Elperson, the international german international um, cycling team donated a great deal of money and bicycles and the kids are involved in some of the big um, cycling tours so this, the Cape Town cycling tour and, and various others and it's really beautiful to see these young kids having role models healthy role models being out and also finding the correlation between being on their bicycles and being healthy and and working at school brilliant it sounds brilliant but are you then a cyclist as well i am i am so I'm, hence your interest in this particular project yes yes I, i'm a i'm a very very keen but not particularly talented cyclist <laughs> is it a presume it's sort of a, a bit of a release from your job just to be able to get out there and breathe in some fresh air um i cycle away from difficult parents and i cycle towards <laughs> <laughs> towards sanity okay yes. and just as i said to return at this time of the year as i mentioned earlier <clears throat> fmr is devoting our keyboard classics in the breakfast mm-hmm. show yeah. at 10 to 8 to the matrix this year uh, of 2021 who have had a tough two years now haven't they from standard nine whatever it's called grade 11 and grade 12 now mm. and what what is your feeling? How are they? How are the metrics? I think this 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 group of metrics is probably. I mean, you know, as I say, the, the, in some schools they are in terms of content they are absolutely fine. They mm-hmm. they know the, the the content of the work they know. Um, what they have missed is the kind of dialogic interactions. So you know, the, m- a lot of learning. Um, happens when kids are in, engaging with, uh, you know, questioning. Um, making sense of um, arguing about yes. that, that's with each other and with the teachers. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Um, so that has been lost. So that in terms of content, I think the kids have had access to content. Most kids have had access to content, but it's the actual constructive or constructivist process of learning that they have all missed. And that's a great pity because that's the kind of learning that, that would allow them to kind of interrogate wherever they go in the future. It's the, it's the skills development that they've lost, not the content. That is interesting. As you say, it's sad on the one hand, but they've had a lot to deal with, haven't they? they they've had have. things to deal with that no one has ever really dealt with before uh, in education in this modern day and age. That's absolutely true. And I think, I think also that they've managed to, many of the kids anyway, not all of them, but many of the kids have managed to develop skills of their own. They've, mm-hmm. you know, they've developed their own resilience and their own sense of priorities and how to regulate their, their own lives, which they would ha- they've had to do. So they have developed skills that other kids haven't. We, and yeah. we don't know all of what those implications are. How do you, do you give them a, a pep talk, the matrix, before they go off to study? Is there lots of sort of um, counseling that goes on? Or do you leave them to just be tough on their own? No, we do. We try really hard. I mean, we, we're lucky. We are, we are so, so lucky at our school in that we have a mental system We've got excellent counselors. We've got an educational support department. Um, so our kids are, are really well catered for. I'm not sure that all kids are, are have the same kinds of resources. I think that many kids have, have found this really, really hard. Even even with all the resources, some kids have found it hard. Um, there's a sense of, as I say, bereavement that they've missed out on something of their youth. Yes, and now they're going to go out into the world, either to university or into jobs, without the sort of training that yeah. Uh, yeah. people older, slightly yeah. older than them yeah. have had. Yeah, and that's Gosh. the that's the that's the tragedy and the and the, I suppose the beauty. Mm-hmm. Well, we are rooting for the matrix of twenty twenty one here on Fine Music Radio, and hoping you know that they come up and just work hard and put their minds to it. Yes. But now another piece of music, and I'm intrigued by this. You've chosen the Elgar Cello Concerto. You said it must be Jacqueline Dupre and Daniel Barenboim, her husband at the time. But the famous recording is with Sir John Barbaroli, but you specifically want this one, which was done somewhat later. Yes, so this, as far as I understand, so I don't know musically, you would definitely know um, musically, which is the better recording. But this one, for me, is a very, very poignant one, because Jacqueline Dupree, I think this was was known that this was one of her last last performances, and Mm -hmm. she was an absolutely extraordinary performer. And there's something that is so so affecting about this particular recording because she was this with her was the last I think the last performance that she did with her husband Daniel Daniel Bam- 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 yeah. yeah exactly well I think shall we play a little bit of the slow movement yes um, which is really the spiritual epicenter yes, yes. of the piece It'll make everyone weep <laughs> okay <laughs> here we go.
Well, it almost seems like a tragedy to have to fade that glorious music, the spiritual epicenter, really, of the cello concerto by Algar, the slow movement. That recording with Jacqueline Dupre and Daniel Barenboim, her then husband, and another choice of my guest on People of Note this week, who is the educator, Mark Falconer. Mark, we've spoken a lot about teaching and matrics and all the rest of it, but I was interested to see that you also have adult daughters, and this must give you a good perspective. You know, teachers can't say that you as a headmaster don't know anything about children. The fact that you've got a family, that you're putting daughters through school and university, must guide you quite a lot and keep you energized. Um, what it does do is give you a sense of perspective. What it certainly allowed me to do is that it's so much easier telling other people how to bring up their children, because <laughs> I... Um, you know, it, it's, it really is a case of do what I say and not uh, not do what I do because being a parent is a very, very different experience from being a teacher. And I, I think that it really helps – it certainly helped me to keep a sense of perspective. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one thing to, to blithely say to a, to a parent, oh, don't worry that your child didn't get a prize or wasn't selected for the first team or whatever it happens to be. It's a very different thing dealing with your own crying daughter who's who wasn't selected for the hockey tour. Um, so it, it does keep you honest and mm-hmm. it does help you to understand that as a parent, your experiences are very different from those of teachers and coaches and whoever else. Have your daughters, have either of them been through matric yet? Yes, they have. One's doing fine art at Stellenbosch and the other one has done a, a degree in literature at UCT. And as they're both studying overseas Gosh. next year. It, I have to say that in the course of this conversation, there is a kind of a passion that you clearly have for teaching, even though, as you said at the beginning, you're a headmaster, so you're mostly involved with admin. I still teach, though. I do still teach. Do you still teach? Yes, yes, yes. What subjects do you teach? I teach English literature. And um, next year we're going to be doing an extended program, um, which will lead into the advanced program English. And that will be – I'm going to deal particularly with the junior grades, which is the most rewarding thing in the world. <laughs> Why? <I would laughs> they are thought... so enthusiastic. Oh, and okay. so, they uh, haven't become know, cynical or well, I, I don't th- I mean, I think No. I mean, I don't think the kids do become cynical. I think that what, the, what kids can sniff out in a second is insincerity. Uh-huh. Um, so if you are passionate about your subject and you know a little – um, and you're willing to explore and listen, then I think kids respond. They they really do. They they oh. can sense sincerity. And obviously you, you love the idea of teaching, don't you? Very um, much so. Very, very much so. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's sort of hands-on in a sense, isn't it? I, I don't think that you can be – I think you have to be an inst- – well, I, I mean, I, I have to be an instructional leader. I think it would be – you know, you have to be understanding what teachers are dealing with if mm-hmm. you if you are hoping to to motivate a group of staff to – do things in a in a particular way. So, just before your your last piece of music, and I hope I don't throw this at you. If you were to say a few words to the matrix that happen to be listening to us at the moment, what would that be? Apart from hang in there, <laughs> something <laughs> slightly more substantial. I would have thought. I would say that they have been bonded by an incredible, unbelievable experience. That's something that has given them access to resources that they probably never knew they had. And to believe in themselves because they they have got something that no one else has ever had before. To take heart with that from that, and to believe that they they are going to be able to, they'll be fine. They'll be they'll do it. Mm-hmm. Good, thank you. That's what we needed to hear. Your last piece of music, Mark, is a bit of a change from the ecclesiastical. Although it's got an ecclesiastical edge, let it be by the Beatles. It's always been one of my favorite pieces of music. I, I can listen to it again and again and again. And I, I, I think it was composed, John Lennon composed it in 
in some you know in, a, in an afternoon or something oh, okay. if if the if the story i heard is true but there is something so reassuring and calming and edifying it's about very marian as well isn't yes, it yes it is it it's is completely it's, it's marian a, yeah so it's it i find it a very encouraging and consoling piece of music well let's put that on to end our chat mark and thank you very much for coming and i was talking to mark falconer who is an educator and at present is the headmaster of Hertzlia here in cape town and once again mark we wish our metrics all the very best and thanks for your time thank you rodney and thank you it has been such a pleasure to have this conversation with you i really do wish the metrics well in fact all all school teachers and pupils and parents it's been a difficult time but i think we we can see the light In times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me Speaking words of wisdom, let it be And in my hour of darkness, she is standing right in front of me Speaking words of wisdom, let it be Let it be, let it be, let it be Whisper words of wisdom, let it be. And when the broken-hearted people living in the world agree, there will be an answer, let it be. But though they may be parted, there is still a chance that they will see.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. FMR 101.